Good morning, good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to Proverbs, the last and final chapter, Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, we're starting at the top, verse 1. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you just for your word and your truth, Father God, and just for being here with us, for reigning and ruling in our hearts, Father God, and for never letting us go. In the name of Jesus, help us to never take you for granted, God, but to truly devote our hearts, our minds, our whole selves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're rounding off here in Proverbs chapter 31. Completing this book of Proverbs. And here in chapter 31, we get a new section. Uh, a, a new writing. Chapter 30 was an independent writing. And now here chapter 31 is another independent writing that's not connected to the previous. And here the, the strange thing about this one that a lot of people really, I didn't pay attention to until going through it this time, is that this is one of the first and only pieces that I can think of that the whole thing is attributed to a woman. And this is, these are the words of a woman. Now, most times people read Proverbs 31 and think Solomon telling these women how to live. But this is a mother instructing her son. And we see in the title right here in the, in the beginning of verse 31, said the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So what we're about to read is the prophecy or the burden that his mother had and she instructed him with. So this is a king telling you what his mother taught him. So this is the training. And all throughout the whole book, we've been hearing the words of the father. The father been calling the son and instructing the son on what to do, how to live, who to avoid, what places to go. But here in the end, now the son is about to speak. And he's saying the words that he's about to speak is the prophecy that his mother taught him, uh, that his mother trained him with. So this is the training of his mother. And that word taught there is the same word that we've been running to throughout the book, what it means to correct, to instruct, to discipline, to guide. This is what his mother used to guide him, to teach him, to train in him. And now he's about to tell it to us. And another little key thing that I like about this one is that the words that he's talking about of the mother he didn't just say these are just the sayings of my mother, like we read other places. These are the sayings of the wise. And these are not just the Proverbs or the, the, the wise sayings of my mother, but this is the prophecy of my mother. So this is something that God burdened the heart of the mother with, and she taught it to her son. And that's what that word prophecy there means, the burden of. And in other places where you read, the burden of the Lord came upon Jeremiah. This is the same word that he's using here. So this is something that God weighed the mother down with and she instructed her son in it. And it just gives us insight into our importance as parents on both sides that this whole book, the father been instructing and it shows us that the father has a role to play in the training of the child and he should take the lead in the role. But in no wise diminishes the importance of the mother because God has burdened the mother with something and now we hear and we see those words encapsulated in scripture and it's something that the mother just training her son but the training was not just I'm saying this is something I would like for you to do she saw it as a burden from God as a prophecy from God that God gave her divine inspiration to speak and to instruct her son and that's deep 
And this is something that we can take encouragement with that God can do the same for us. That when you fussing and when you're doing what you do, you can hear from God and, and, and instruct the children in the ways and the manners of God. And the amazing thing is that as we get through it, it ain't going to seem like it's nothing that deep. It's just regular life living. But she saw this was a burden from God. And we get into it. This is the call of ten to attention in, in verse 2. So what, my son? And what the son of my womb? And what the son of my vow? So she calling her son to attention with these three what's. And that what is it's, it's a call to attention. Pay attention, my son. Take notice of what I'm about to say. And she referred to him as on three different levels. He's just blanketly my son. Then she goes get deeper. The son of my womb. So they let you know this is my natural born son. The one I gave birth to. And then she goes a little deeper and say he's the son of my vows. And it's a way of saying either the son that who I have had and devoted to God. Or he's the son of my, my covenant relationship. That is the son of my marriage. And she's going getting deeper and get a little crazy in this, in this thing and calling her son to attention and letting her know that this is who you are. My son, pay attention, my son. This is old King Lemuel. In verse three, this is the beginning of her instruction. Say, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyed kings. This is the prophecy, the burden that God gave her. And it don't seem to be that deep in spiritual. But give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyed kings. So don't you give your power, your might over to women. Don't allow women to destroy you, to make you weak. This is the prophecy that the mother is giving to her son. Watch out how you relate to these women because they can make you weak. Don't allow women to take your heart away, to take your strength away. And he said, don't give your ways to that which destroys kings. So she got two warnings she giving him. Don't let women make you weak. And don't give your ways, the way, the patterns of your life. Don't get caught up into things that can destroy kings, that, uh, that, that can ruin kings. So she's training her son to be a king, to be a man of valor, to be a, a, a prominent person. And she give him these two warnings. Watch out for them hot tail girls. And watch what you do with your life because it can destroy you. Then she gives an example here in verse four said, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Now this is a, a, a controversial little package. This is still her instruction says, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. And what she's saying is, if you truly a king, if you truly a prince is a, a ruler. So if you're a prince, you're a ruler, you're a king, you shouldn't be drinking. It's not fitting for you is what she's saying. It's not the best thing for you. And it's going off the back of her telling him, don't give your ways to that which destroys kings. So kings, rulers shouldn't be drinking. It's not fitting for you. It don't, it don't look good for a king, for a prince to give themselves to, to wine, to strong drink. And those are two different words for intoxicants. One wine would be more like, I mean, that one that we would say wine that would be more like, in my, our modern day, would be more like beer. It's a fermented drink. And that strong drink would be something that's more mixed with y'all's little liquor. Stuff you have to get from the States, though. It's like, stay away from that. It's not fitting for you. 
And the thing that makes this a little bit strange is because most people will tell you, and they rightfully so, that the Bible don't speak negatively about drinking. That Bible just said you can drink, but don't get drunk. But here, her instructing her son with the burden of God, she said, no, leave that stuff alone. And if we go back with what we previously read in Proverbs chapter 22, we can understand why. She's going to explain to him why. In verse 5, this is the warning. It says, at least thou drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. This is why she said it ain't good for kings to drink. Because drink has the ability to take your mind. So she's saying you can get drunk and you'll forget the law. You'll forget what's supposed to be, the statutes that have been laid down, the principles that have been aligned, and you can pervert or mistreat people in judgment. So when the poor people come before you because you've been drinking, you'll misunderstand, and it has the ability to, to distort your mind. It has the ability to pervert your mind and to take your mind away from stableness. And this is the warning that she gave to him about it's not good for kings to drink. And if we just think about this for a minute, don't nobody raise your hand. There ain't but a couple of us in here, so somebody going to see you if you raise your hand. <laughs> How many of us, like I said, tell yourself in your heart, has been in a position where you didn't let yourself take a few, and you realize you did something dumb, and you did something stupid because you wasn't thinking, and that drink had a little something to do with it. And that's the warning that she's giving here. So she's saying, since you're on a level where you can't afford to make mistakes, don't drink. That's deep. And that's something we need to think about and we need to contemplate when it comes to us and ourselves or how we relate to drink. So far throughout this book of Proverbs, it all has been in a bad connotation when it talks about drink. Talking about wine make a fool out you. And in 22, it talks about the person that got sorrows, that got woes, that got wounds without cause. The person that's dizzy, don't know where they're going. It's the person that drinks the alcohol. And now he's here, she's saying, you had a status in life where you don't need to drink because of who you are and because of what you're going through. Go ahead. Huh? Either he's a king or he's in a position to be one. Yeah, most people, and I ain't get too deep in this, they think that this Lemuel is a pet name for um, Solomon. Because all the word means is my beloved. So most people don't think this is a real person. They think this is the, the pet name, like your mama called you something. Like my mama called me Boot. <laughs> Can't nobody else call me that. Like. <laughs> and that's what most people read this to be, a pet name for him. So they think it's her training him in the house of the king in preparations to be king, that he's not that yet. And so that's why she used the double. It's not for kings. It's not for princes. Those who are in rule or those who have positions of authority. It's basically because of what you are, what you're going to be, it ain't good for you to drink. And I just throw this out there just, just for discussion later or something to think about. If it's not fitting for him, since he's going to be a king, uh, he's a representative of the kingdom on the planet, should it be fitting for us? Since we're the sons of the king and we're in a position of kingship, that we're the kings and royal priesthood in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. Just a little something to think, thought, thought about reading. Verse 6, 
And she goes even deeper about this drinking. Study you drinking it. She said, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of a heavy heart. Like, don't you drink. Let the folks who basically depress, the folks who are ready to die, say, give it to them. And then that's this always strike me as a, a, a odd and a deep statement. Like, don't you indulge in this stuff. The people who down depressed, they're ready to die. Let them drink. And then she, verse seven, she continued. So let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. It's like, it's not for you to drink. If you want to use my alcohol, give it to the depressed person. Let them drink. And she's here not instructing him to saying alcohol is a medicine for the depressed. She's giving this picture that you're in a state of rulership and a state of authority. It's not good for you to drink. The folks who down and have, don't have no hope in life, let them have it. But you're in a place where you got something to do. You have business to take care of. And this could stop you or make you ineffective in it doing it. But the people who are ready to die, the people who have given up on life, let them drink their life away. That's the picture that she's saying here. And so she's putting this drink and, and, and indulging in alcohol in a negative position. Like People who got life, people who got business to do, it ain't for them. People who just ready to die, who done gave up on life and got no hopes and dreams, said let them drink their sorrows away. Let them drink until they forget what they got them down. That just don't seem like something, uh, an encouraging or beautiful picture. Then she goes into the second instruction she got to the son. So the first instruction, watch the women, them fast-tailed girls, and don't indulge or give yourself over to things that can destroy you. And now she goes in verse 8 with the second instruction. Said, open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. So speak up for those who cannot speak. And you speak in the cause or in the cases of those that are appointed to destruction. What they mean by that is, is the, the, the people who are about to be ruined. The oppressed people. The people who are pushed down in earth. And they're being mistreated. It's like open up your mouth for them. The folks who don't have a right to speak, you speak for them. And when you find out people who are in a position where they are being destroyed, they're being mistreated, and their life is being ruined, that that's what you speak on. So you enter into those causes. So you put yourself in a position where you are the voice for the voiceless, where you speak up and you plead for those who cannot plead for themselves. That's a representative of how to properly use your authority as a king. And I have to ask the question again. Since we are the royal priesthood of God. Should this be true for us? Should we be the voice. Of the voiceless in our world. And in our society. Should we put ourselves to where we speak up. And we plead the cause for those who cannot plead for themselves. Those who are being ruined. Those who are being destroyed. And mistreated. Depressed. The oppressed of society. Should we be that voice? Because this is the instruction that she's given to her son. And she goes a bit deeper in verse 9. Said, open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. She's continuing this thing. Open up, say something. Don't be silent. Use your voice to speak. And not only just speak, she said, plead for the cause of the poor and the needy. Those who don't have, those who are the oppressed, speak up for them. And judge righteously. Put yourself in a position where you do the proper thing, where you 
create justice for those who cannot get it. Should this be our voice? Should we be just, I mean, should you, should we be the folks out there talking? You think so? What you think, Ms. Matt? Should we be the ones out there opening up our voice for the people who can't say nothing? Helping out the poor. Helping out the needy. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and I think that that's all of the pictures in there. That we step in and we need to be ones who do something. When we see a need, we see a lack, we see of injustice, we see somebody being mistreated, we should be the people that step in and do something. This should be our position. It's the position of a righteous use of authority. And we say we got the power of God in us in this place, which means we should have some type of leeway and authority on this planet. It's just something to, just to think about. And I like the way she kept saying, open up your mouth, open up your mouth. They basically don't just sit there. And then now in verse 10, we transition again. And this is the, the controversial piece that then sold more t-shirts and books than probably any <laughs> other verses of scripture other than John 3.16. Uh, these next couple of verses. And in this really... It's a poem. This starting in verse 10 is, is, is one long poem. And it's the type of poem it is, it's called an acrostic poem. And what an acrostic is, y'all done did, probably did it in elementary school where they got you to spell your name. Then you had to say something about yourself using each letter of your name. And that's what type of poem this is. This is the alphabet. And like I said, it's hard for us to see because it's in English, but in the original Hebrew, it's the alphabet. They got all 22 letters of the alphabet. And they use each letter to open up a, a line of the poem. And so that's what we got going on in here. And in this poem is the description of what we call the virtuous woman. In verse 10, it said, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Well, this is the opening. Who can find one? Who can discover a virtuous woman? Now, the first problem we have in here is that word virtuous woman. What you When you hear virtuous, what you think about? Like, what you mean, like grand, like beautiful? Okay, what you think? When you hear virtuous, what, what comes to mind? A true woman, an honest woman. So we got a grand, beautiful, true woman, an honest woman. How many of you ever think about, let me see something we all can, can connect to. The Black Panther. Would you say he was virtuous? Like, would that ever come to your mind? Huh? No, just just the, the, the character on that movie, running into war, going to battle, fighting. Would you say that was virtuous? But when you think about that word, would that ever come to mind? A soldier going out to battle. A warrior. That's a virtuous act. But that don't come to your mind when you think about something being virtuous. Seeing a soldier, a warrior, just ready to kick those in and, and snatch up people. <laughs> it doesn't fit. But the strange and the crazy thing is, the same word that's used here for virtuous is other places in the Bible translated army, valiant. It then already showed up in this book when she said, don't give your strength. It's the exact same word. And so this word virtuous, if we understand it, 
is broader than just something that's beautiful or pretty or something that's just a moral character. It's something of strength. Valiant is the way other people translate this word. Some Something that's resourceful, strong. That's what he's saying here. A, a strong, resourceful, excellent woman. And so this word, like I said, is most often used of soldiers. David was a valiant man. It's the same word here. He was a virtuous man. He was a man with no fear, a man that can go to fight with strength. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, all of those things are compacted in this. And the idea for us to truly understand the description we got here, we can't just limit it to pretty and feminine and chaste. What, did it, what he's describing here is somebody with strength, somebody with power, Somebody who's fearless and somebody who has some force, the ability to impact and make some change. It's like that, like I said, David is, is the most off used of this. When he talks about David's mighty men, it's the same word here. When you read those mighty men, you think people that can beat up anybody, people that can go and get any job done. It's the same word. So David's mighty men could be David's virtuous men. Uh, we can call this woman the mighty woman, the valiant woman, the strong woman, the resourceful woman. And that's what he's saying is a lady like this with strength, with, with, with excellency of character, with, with, without fearlessness. It's like this is a rare type of woman. Who can find one? And if we just let it sit and we connect it with the whole book, it's a throwback. Because when he asked this question, he ought, we automatically ought to go back to Proverbs chapter 18 and chapter 19. What he talks about, he who finds a wife finds what? A good thing. But in the 19, he tells us that a, a, a wife, a good wife, is a gift from God. So what he's saying here is, who can discover this? This ain't something you just going to pick up. This type of woman ain't something you just going to run into on the street. This is a rare thing that ain't just everywhere. And he shows us the, the excellency of this lady. And he goes in and we say her price is far above rubies. So he's given a precious gem. And what he means, her price, her value, her worth. This ain't something you just going to go get. And when you connect that with the culture, because the way that you got a wife in the ancient culture was through dowry. You just can't go holler at no lady on the street. No lady of, of worth, no lady of character, no lady of upstanding position in society and make her your wife. That's that, that just something you didn't do. It was this whole routine, the way the culture set up. You had to go through something. That's why when, when Jacob, when he wanted to, to, to marry Rachel, the brother was broke. He couldn't just go get her. So what he had to do? He had to work. Like, no, you just can't get this. And the, the value, the, the societal standing of the woman, the beauty of the woman control the price. And what he's saying here, this woman is so rare that you just can't find her on the street. And it's something that's very, very valuable. This type of woman, this valiant woman, this strong woman, this, this mighty woman, this virtuous woman. It ain't just no little lady you find riding around. And it gives us a picture of 
in order to truly get this type of woman, you need some help. And that help, Proverbs 19 told us, that a good wife, a real wife, comes from God. Verse 11. This is a very strange verse now. That a lot of you ain't going to get this on your, on your Sunday school sermon. I mean, your Mother's Day sermon, when the only time you preached it. <laughs> Said, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that she sh- he shall have no need of spoil. Now, do y'all see anything strange about that verse? You don't see nothing strange about that verse. Huh? That she's trustworthy, but not even that just she's trustworthy, but how it's phrased. It doesn't say, if it would have just said, she is a faithful wife, so he don't have no need for spoil. It says the heart of her husband don't safely trust in her. And that safely trust in her means he completely rests in her. He, he, he get full confidence in this woman. And this is a, what makes it so rare is just reading through the Bible. This ain't something you've seen as an encouraging thing between humans. Most of the time when the Bible telling you to safely trust in somebody, it's telling you to trust who? God. Tell you over and over. Don't put no confidence in man. Don't rest in man. Don't rely upon man. Don't rely upon the strength of the man. Put your trust in the Lord. And go ahead. Oh, see, now you, you, you paying attention now. We ain't gonna say that right now. We don't say that in tree. We ain't say, it don't say that. <laughs> but the way he's painting this picture is, is her husband in their relationship can completely rely upon her. To the point where it says he has no need of spoil. And that, that need of spoil is he don't have to go out and fight and struggle to get something. He can rest in her. And there's a relying in her. And that thing, that's the thing that makes this so strange. Because ain't too often you see this presented as a good thing. The only other place I can think of is when Pharaoh trusted Joseph. And that was a wicked man who didn't know no better. And he's telling her heart, completely trusting her. And it's the idea of he can go handle his business and have no concern about house or home or his wife. And this is an amazing picture that she is in a position or she is such, of such strength and of such value that it put her husband in a position of complete reliability. He rely upon this woman. So you, you going too far. <laughs> in verse 12, it, it King is on about this thing about her reliability and her rareness. It says she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. This part of the ways that he can trust in her. He have no need of spoil. He ain't got to worry about what's going on and how to make sure he got some. Because some women you can't trust like that. Some folk, you marry and you leave them alone and you come home and you got a hundred new purses and a thousand new shoes and you broke and all your credit card. And he's like, no, he ain't got to worry about that. Then he goes into another degree and he said, she will do him only good. Go ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to talk, we're going to get that when we get through the picture. Very good, very good question. And it says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So that means the only thing she's doing for him is good. That which is beneficial. That which works, operate the way it's supposed to work. And never evil. She don't create dysfunction. She don't create any chaos in the home. She only do good. Which is a contrast to this woman we kept running through in the latter half of the Proverbs, which was the odious woman, the clamorous woman, 
and, and that woman that I always love to fight. And what he's saying, this woman, she don't create any of that. She don't create any chaos in the home. She don't create any disruption. That's another translation of evil, chaos, disruption, disorder. Like she do good. How long do she do him good? All the days of her life. I mean, she only do him good. And that's why he can trust her. Verse 13, she seeketh wool and flax and work it willingly with her hands. So she go out and she's, she's seeking out that wool and flax. Those are textiles, things she can use to create stuff. So she go out looking for stuff. She looking for, for, for things to bring into the home. And she says she work it willingly with her hands. I mean, she ain't lazy. There's a skill in her ability to work and she's willing to get it. She go looking for it, bringing it home. Not wool and flax, we understand that. But here is in the context, she ain't just buying purses. She going out and getting stuff that she can use, getting stuff that can advantage the family, and she willing to get it and even work with it. That she don't have to go to the top place. She can go to Goodwill and get some straps and make some out of it. This is the type of woman that she is. That shows us she's not lazy. Verse 14, she is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. So now he's giving her a parallel to the merchant ships. The merchant ships is those who bring the goods and they bring the, the things that that's not accustomed to the region. They go out and they can bring and you can get things that you normally can't get your hands on. And what she's saying is she's like that, that she's willing to go. She's willing to find the things that her family need, the things that can enrich her home and she can bring it. That when she show up, she's bringing something. And it ain't just using up what is there. She's like the merchant ship. She's she bringing in goods and she's willing to go out. She's searching and she can find the deal. She can find what's needed. She can scour and find those things that, that, that that's not coming. And so we're giving her here as a picture of somebody who's perceptive, not lazy, but also have a level of understanding about life and culture. And she's willing to go out and not just just sit there with what we got and just let that be what it is. He's comparing her to the merchant ship. She's bringing stuff in. Verse 15. She riseth also while it's yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. This is a picture. So she get up while it's yet night. That's a, a way of saying while it is still dark. So she get up dark and early. And her getting up, she prepares for her household. And she says she provides a portion for her maidens. And I told you going earlier that this was in the time where we reading in, in time of Solomon, this was middle class living. If you have some servants, if you have at least one or two maidens, that's middle class living. That's what she's referring to. So she sets some stuff up for her maidens. There's people that work in her house. So she get her household ready and she set everything up for the people who work in the house. Make sure they got what they need and they're ready to go out and do their job. And it shows her as being ambitious and preparatory. She set everything up. When does she get up? So why does she at night? So she ain't lazy. And, she, and here if we let the Proverbs as we've been reading go back and bring all that stuff back into remembrance. Because you told her you get it. Being a sluggard, being slothful ain't good. One of the signs of a slothful, sluggard person is they love what? Sleep. And they're giving her a position as she's willing to get up. And this is another way of saying she ain't lazy. She's not a slothful person. She's willing to prepare for her family and do what it takes 
even in the midst of the night. Verse 16, she considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand, she planted a vineyard. Now, this is deep. Now, this is going around to what you was talking about. She go out and scout a field. That's what it means. She considered the field. So she going through the town and she scouting out real estate. And not only is she scouting it out, she ain't just playing on her smartphone, looking at stuff and dreaming. She's scouting it out. Then she says she buys it. And not only do she buy it just to say I own some property and I got land and you don't know my husband got two jobs and we can buy stuff. She cultivates it and makes a vineyard out of it. So she's willing to work. She's willing to get up. She has understanding of what's going on in culture and society. And now she has been created a, a, a source of income for the family. She bought a field. She cultivated it. How did she cultivate? With her own hands. It was her work. She did this and, and created a vineyard. Go ahead. Who that? Ah, very, 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 very perceptive. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you were very, very good. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm glad you brought it. Very good. Very good. He's talking about Proverbs chapter 8 when it gives us description description of wisdom. Ah. You, yes, you are absolutely right. You're stealing my thunder. <laughs> yes, in verse 17, it says, She girded her loins with strength and strengthened her arms. Now, this could be taken a multiple different ways. That girded her loins with strength, that's the, the inner side. And basically, she makes them strong. So some people take it metaphorically. In the sense of that she can get herself right deep down on the inside. And some people take it literally in the sense that she exercises. And she makes sure she in good condition to do all these things. And that she strengthens her arms. She makes her arms stronger. So some people take that metaphorically in the sense that her reach and her ability to do these things. She educate herself. She train herself to make sure she can. That's strengthening. And some people take it literally as in she exercises. And make sure that she got vitality. And I think that it's left open that it could be taken both ways. In the sense of that she makes sure she's in the ability to do everything that she has to do. Both physically and mentally. That her, her, her mind is right and her body is right. To go on the task and to do the things that she needs to do. Because if she let herself go and she can't live, who's going to take care of her family? And if she lose herself and she get weak-minded and overstressed, Who's going to take care of her family? And so she in a position where she works, she works. And in the midst of this, and I like how I put it somewhere here in the middle, is she strengthened herself. She get herself in a position of strength and power. And you know what this word is? The same word that's translated virtuous. She makes herself virtuous. She makes herself valiant, her loins, her arms. She makes them virtuous. And it keeps going. In verse 18, she perceived that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth out not by night. So as she perceives it, she understands. And basically it shows that she's not a dense woman. That when she out there and when she's doing business, she know what she's doing. And what that means, she perceived that her merchandise is good. She know the value of the things that she's dealing with. And she know and she makes sure she got the good stuff. So she understand the value of it. 
And this second half is the one in the mother one that make people write this off. Like, man, ain't no woman like that. She get up early in the morning and stay up all night. Cause her candle go not by, out by night. I don't necessarily read it that way, although it can. That she stay up all night, the way I read it is her candle goeth out by night, by night. I read it with the understanding she making sure her merchandise is good. Now, in the ancient world, when you set a candle, most homes did leave a candle burning at night. Cause there was no electricity. And the same thing my wife do, and, and, and we fuss about. She turn on the light, I turn one off. And her idea is, when I get up at night, at least one night need to be on. Cause I need to be able to see. And a lot of times in ancient cultures, that's what they did. But poor folks could not afford to do it. For multiple reasons. One, they didn't have the good oil, so it burnt fast. Or two, they couldn't afford to use oil all night long. And so it could be saying that her oil going out by night as a reference back to her merchandise is good. She makes sure that her family has what they need and not only what they need, they got the good stuff. That she has the ability to, to let her oil burn. We see the same thing in the parallel, the parable Jesus gave about the ten virgins. Some of them had enough oil to burn and to wait. While the other ones, theirs what? Ran out. And it's the idea of having sufficiency. So she making sure that the house is, is good. She making sure that the merchandise in the house is good. And he giving her this sense of orderliness about her and, and structuredness and that she ain't no dumb woman. You ain't gonna just get over on her. She knows, she understands the things that she are, that she's engaging in. In verse 19. She left her hand to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She's still woman, still doing what? Work. The spindle and the distaff, that's the thing you use to, to weave the linen and to weave the cloth. So earlier, she was going out and getting. She was bringing it. She was seeking out the wool and the flax. And now she done brought it home. The family is good. Now she's working with it. She, she's crafting it and she's making it from it. And it's a labor of skill. She knows her skill and she's utilizing them. In verse 20, she stretched out her arm to the poor and she reached forth her hands to the needy. Now, verse 19 and 20, it does this little funny little thing. Because she says she, her palms, another way she'll be read, she straight laid them to the spindle. Her hands grasp or hold on to the distaff. So that's her palms in her hands. And in here it goes backwards and says she stretched out her palms to the poor. So she's using her hands to work and she's willing to put them to work. But on, on the opposite side, she takes what she used to work and she's willing to use that for the poor. And it shows you the, the, the dual work of this lady. She ain't just out here working to make stuff and to sell it and to make money and to build her empire. But she's willing to work. And to provide and to create. But she take those same hands that she's using to work. To give to the poor. To extend to the needy. And he puts them in contrast like that. She reached out her hands to the spindle. She stretched out her hands to the poor. Her hands hold the distaff. Her hands is out for the needy. To show that she working and she utilizing. But she just ain't selfish and out there grinding and just trying to come up. She's willing to support. She's willing to help. She's a, a person of compassion. And she has a mind for the poor and the needy. Was if, like it says, with this being the close of the book, it takes us back all the way through the whole book. 
Because providing for God and honoring God is doing what? Giving to the poor. God takes notice when we give to the poor. That being virtuous, being a person of character is taking care of the poor and the needy. And what he's saying here is that she's truly a woman of virtue. And it ain't just sown in her skill to create, in her industriousness, in her wisdom, in her intellect, but she can utilize those same things to give and to take care of those who are less fortunate than her. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. This is deep. So there's no fear in this woman. When it comes to the time of preparation, there's no fear. She's not afraid. And why she's not afraid is because she is prepared. So this woman of virtue, this woman of character is a woman with foresight that takes us back. Like I said, we got all the Proverbs coming to a head in here because the wise people see the evil coming and do what? Hide themselves. They put themselves in a position where evil can't overtake them. Uh-huh. Yeah. But she no, she's the same as. Because she says she's not afraid of the winter. So the hard time gonna come when things get bad. Why she ain't afraid? Said because her household is clothed with scarlet. She did she done made them ready. So she planned for it all the way beforehand. She knows, just like Jay always said in his money talks. December 25th come around every year. So you shouldn't be racing and, 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 and if that's what you're going to participate in, you shouldn't be scrounging and, and borrowing and, and getting all of the debt because this is something that just showed up. No, it happens every year. And what this picture here, the winter comes every year. It get cold. It get bad. And just think about it. Just put yourself in this position. Ain't no central heat. Ain't no switch you can just turn on. And some people, their floors were the ground. And just imagine that. Your, 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 the bottom, your floor is the same dirt that you walk on when you step outside. So if the ground freeze outside, what happened to your floor? They freeze. <laughs> Ain't no insulation that you can just go to Home Depot and just put around your windows and, and keep it. There. But she had a position. Well, she knew this was coming and she knew it was going to happen, but it don't strike any fear in her because she already prepared for it. She didn't got her family the good stuff that going to last, that going to be willing to endure. And she clothed them. She done made them ready for the time of the coming. So that's why she, she, she see the evil coming and she ready for it. In verse 22, so she took care of her household. In verse 22, she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. So not only do she provide for her household, she look out for herself. And she produced for herself clothing's a tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She got some good stuff. But where she get it from? Her work. Yeah, and all that understand, her work. She know what's good in the market. She know how to utilize it. She know what's worth in her bag. And she can, she can produce it. She get the good stuff for her, her children and she got some good stuff for herself. And then she got for her husband in verse 23. Seems a bit disrespectful. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. 
all this stuff. And some people say, this woman doing all this, and all her husband doing is sitting out at the gate. <laughs> he just he's hanging out with the old folk around the shade tree. Sitting at the gates here is the ancient way of saying, to us, we, we refer to as Capitol Hill, in the places of influence, in the, in the judgment halls of the time. This is where the leaders of society sat out at the gates. When you brought somebody to the gates, that's what's bringing them to court. This is where you brought disputes at. This is where the elders sit. And basically are saying her husband is a person of influence in the midst of this society. And he in the midst of the elders of the land. So her husband is somebody who has some influence. Her husband is somebody who has some greatness. And when we think this, like I said, we let this track all the way through the book of Proverbs. It tells us about a, a, vir- a, a good wife is a wet to her husband, a crown to her husband. It's a glory to her husband. And to have this peace in the midst of all this praises about a wife is giving you a description or a picture of her husband is in a position where he can do what he needs to do. He can work and, and be a, a person of influence in society because at the beginning, her husband can do what? Safely trust in her. Because he don't have to worry about home and there's no embarrassment in his connection. He can be in this place of influence and he can work and have respectability in the land because of who she is. That's, 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 that's a deep level of understanding that he's free to do and to be and to work and to impact and do meaningful stuff because of who she is. Her, her name don't, don't make him look bad. He ain't got to worry about nobody showing up in the judgment hall and saying, how you going to tell me what to do with your wife? I'm, uh-uh. I, I know I, that, judge, that man, now he can't judge my case. Why? Because I saw his wife. Because his wife is a crown to him. And she's a, a place of refuge for him. It's something that he can trust in. He don't have to worry about what's going on at home because she got it. And just to uh, take this moment to pause and bring up what you're saying. And this shows us a little different picture of how people categorize male and female relationships, our woman role and a husband role. And, and they put this broad brush of saying, with the Bible, I back at Bible times. Now, one in time somebody tell you, and they finna make a deep point by back in Bible times, write them off. They don't know what they're talking about. Because Bible times were thousands of years. There is no one Bible times. Things change. Like I said, you can't understand this society. If we go back a hundred years, if we was to flash back to the time where Jay Grandma was born, we would not understand the world. It's a whole nother world. So just imagine thousands of years and how much stuff changed. There ain't no one thing is Bible times. But the, the, the stark picture that's normally presented is that, like you said, the man role is to do everything, all the work, all the business, and his woman only supposed to shut up and stay at home. Like, what, what, that good time? Kitchen in the bedroom floor. <laughs> and, that, and that's the picture that, <laughs> that's presented. But if we understand Genesis chapter 3, 
he gives us a description of the wife. And he said that she was a what? Anybody know what that is? It's not good for man to be alone. So she, he made him a what? Those are two different words. He made her a help that was meet or suitable for him. So what she was supposed to be in the ideal creation of God is a help. God gave Adam a task and she was supposed to help. Somebody that comes alongside. That's the same word if you take the Greek version of the Old Testament that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, a helper, a comforter. And what he's saying is the wife is supposed to be in that role. This man has a task. This woman should come alongside of him and to assist him, to help him, to be a comforter for him in completing that task. Now let's think about this. If the husband is in a position where he's a judge, he's an elder, he's a ruler, and his job is to be at the gates, to contend, to contest, and to hear all of the troubles of everybody else and to help them figure out how to settle their disputes and to settle their problems, to keep the whole society running right. It's a good chance that he works long hours. Because people have a lot of problems, y'all. And even in Bible times, they had problems. <laughs> so, he's supposed to be the elder, be the judge, provide for his family. And we've seen throughout this book of Proverbs, he's supposed to be the teacher and instructor, y'all. It ain't the mama job. That's daddy. Mama with him as he's instructing. Daddy's supposed to be doing all that stuff. And that's a whole lot to do. And he have somebody with him that's supposed to do what? Help. And what this wife has done is she found a way to help her husband by keeping the house running and keeping the home industrious and keeping everything taken care of so that he don't have to burn both ends of the design. Now, in every marriage, in every relationship, does this look the same? No. Because the job and the task and the purpose of every individual is not the same. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So some people may need help. Some men may need help in the sense of their wife getting out there and getting it. They might need that help. Now, it's their responsibility and that does not change. And it should never be in a position where the wife feel overburdened like I have to. That's why I can't stand that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. That ain't no real man. Well, his wife was in a position. We don't eat unless I work. Real man ain't gonna never put his wife in that position. But a loving wife with a care for her husband can be in a position where I'm willing to do what needs to be done to help this man do what he has to do. And that's the separation in the thing. It ain't just no blanket. The woman, you can only do this, 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 and this. No. The woman is there to help. And now, if the man is out, that help could be in the home. But as I say, all in it, that man, that's still your house. So if it's crazy, who fault is it? 
I'm always going to say it's that man's fault. Who's supposed to be the leader? Like I said, when, when you watch sports and the team lose and they get lose control, who get fired? The coach. <laughs> man, you need to do that. When an organization and you got a whole bunch of sexual harassment charges and all this stuff going on in your organization, who get fired? The CEO. You be like, I ain't harassed nobody. It's your fault. You're supposed to be responsible of this. Now, nah, them people down there, they're doing the job. The managers, they're supposed to help you. But ultimate responsibility falls on who? The, the head. And here, he has a woman that's willing to what? Help. And she's there as an assistant. And she's doing a grand job, y'all. She's having this brother out. And all the work and all the responsibility that he has, she's helping him carry that load. She's assisting him in carrying that load. And what we cannot do is let either side of the culture create for us our home and our perceptions of who we are as men and women. You got the crazy side that's going to tell you in Bible time and you get depressed and you feel like you, you are less than anything if you work. Then you got the, the, the secular coach who don't care nothing about God who going to make you depressed and make you feel like you less than anything if you devote yourself to take care of your children and raise your children. Both of them are wrong. The only person that gives you worth and gives you understanding of how it is you're supposed to express your femininity on this planet is the God who made it. And if you're married, you're in a union with somebody that there's a relationship and your home cannot be judged by J-home. It ain't the same house. And let it never be said that a spouse said to another spouse, with Ebony, <laughs> with E&J, no, we don't do that. Our house, our individual homes, and the way the expression works out, it looks completely different. Like I said, in the early years, when me and my wife first got married, coming in, I'm going to be the man. I'm broken in the mud. So the way she helped, if we, she helped, we're willing to live a lifestyle that we're broke in the mud. <laughs> I was like, I never helped, brother. I'm saying, you, you willing to eat double stack? You know, that, <laughs> that was my virtuous one. <laughs> you gonna get it. You don't know my pain. <laughs> but also in the sense of the way work, work worked. And to help and to assist, we we came to a conclusion. Our children ain't going to be in no daycare. They ain't going to do none of this stuff. And we broke. So we, I can't, we can't afford to just, just, I'm saying, just do nothing. So we got to figure this thing out. So to help, it's the manipulation and the movement. Since you work in the morning, I'm going to work at night. And I'm going to have the kids all day. And you can get them at night. And there's this willingness and there's this help that's in it. And the horrible thing that can happen is if we allow the secular world to come in and say, well, you ain't no good. You don't have a career and you ain't doing this. And, and now she get depressed. And let these fake church folk come along and say, well, you ain't no good. You, why your husband was at church with the kids last night? Cause they're his kids. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. I used to go to church and have my boy with me. Like you babysitting? No, this is called being a father. <laughs> People used to literally ask me that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just show up at Wednesday night Bible sometime. My wife went with me. Are you babysitting? I know this is called being a father. <laughs> it's amazing, man. I learned. I had to tell church people that. Like, no, I'm a dad. Uh, this is not babysitting. I'm, I'm being a father. You know, he's mine. You like, you, you understand that? <laughs> I'm responsible. My wife helps me. They ain't her kids. They mine. But that's y'all. You didn't got me off track, girl. We ain't supposed to be there. Verse 24, she make it fine linen and selleth it and deliver it girdles unto the merchant. So this woman's still working. And says she make fine linen and selleth it and deliver it girdles unto the merchant. She set up an eBay page, y'all. Amazon FBA. She was, she was on her grind. E-commerce. So she was taking what she worked. She, she, she sold it. And she was delivering it unto the merchants. That's another way of saying that she was giving it out there to be exchanged. So she was out there in the exchange market. She was hustling and grinding. Like I said, she was Amazon FBA. Estee. She was doing her little thing. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. So strength and honor are her clothing. Basically, she has adorned herself and the thing that makes her look good, her dress is what? Strength and honor. That strength is what? Virtue. Valiantly. In, in, in honor, glory. There's a shine and there's a strength to her. This is how she adorned herself. Just let that sit in for a minute. That means she won't allow herself to be judged off her clothes. Strength and honor are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. And there's going to be a time, all her work, all her labor, and there's going to be joy. There's going to be rejoicing. That word rejoice is spin. She's going to dance, y'all. She's going to be dancing. She's going to cut a rug. 26, she openeth her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. Like, uh-uh. In Bible times, women didn't talk. But she openeth her mouth with what? With wisdom. In Bible time, women didn't talk, y'all. But she do what? She opened her mouth. In Bible time, women couldn't say nothing. <laughs> but she do what now? But in Bible time, the women just had to sit there and let their husband do all the talk. But she do what? Okay. She opened her mouth. With wisdom. And, and the amazing thing, if you let the full chapter ride, where was the last time we seen that expression open with her mouth? We just read it. What was it talking about? Look back at it. Verse 8, I think. Or 9. At verse 8 and 9. Yeah. It was her instruction to the son. And what the king's supposed to do is what? Open up his mouth. And plead for the cause of the needy. Plead for the cause of those who are downcast. And now here in this end, we get back to this expression of open up your mouth. And it gives us a level of where this woman, this valiant woman, this woman of strength, has the ability to speak wisdom into society. But in Bible time, women didn't speak. But this woman, she opened up her mouth. How does she open up her mouth? With wisdom. 
which gives us a contrast also to that clamorous woman we kept running into. That woman, that odious woman, that woman that loved to fight, that nagging woman that run the man up onto the top of the house. This woman here, she opened her mouth with wisdom. And her tongue is the law of kindness. That's, that's a very poetic way of saying that. That the, the rule or the standard of kindness, the standard of compassion and love and favor is her tongue. That if you want to give a picture to judge is some kind or not, use what she say. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fool should not be talking. Yeah, the fool should not be talking. But this woman has a right to talk. And not only does she have a right, she do it. But she do it with wisdom. And her tongue is the law of kindness. There's a compassion. She ain't no rough, gruff woman. And I'm just telling her how it is. No, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a graciousness to her speech. But she has the right to speak, y'all. And this is as an expression of her virtue, her strength. The fact that she can and she know how. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She pay attention. She regards. She know what's going on with her house. She understand the patterns that go on. That's what the ways of her household is. How her home is going. The condition of it. The mood of it. She, she sees that. She recognizes it. She's in tune to what's going on in her house. And she says she don't eat the bread of idleness. She ain't lazy. She ain't wasting time. She ain't just sitting still or running motor. No, she paying attention and she's moving. And to put it in connection with that, it lets me know that when she recognizes something is wrong in her home, she's willing to do something about it. When she sees things ain't right with her children, she's willing to do something about it. When stuff ain't going well in her marriage, she's willing to do something about it. She pays attention, but she ain't lazy. She just ain't daydreaming and, and hoping and, and, and just, no, nah, she willing, she recognize what's going on and willing to do something about it. Yeah. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. So this is the end result. This is her dancing. So because of the way she lived, because of who she is, her children gonna rise up and call her blessed. So her children gonna speak blessings over her. Because of her lifestyle. So her husband also. He going to praise her. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Ah. Good, good question. All of this is. Because remember her opening instructions to him. Was don't give your. Don't allow women to take your strength. And don't give yourself to ways that destroy kings. She gave him an example of ways that can destroy kings. So now here in an inverted way. She's showing him instead of the negative of the women to avoid because we had that throughout the whole book about that loose woman, the woman with the flattering speech, that seductress woman. And when last we met the odious woman, the woman that loved to fight. And so all those was warning from the father. Uh, watch out for this one. And now here in the end to complete her admonition, uh, don't give your ways to women. I mean, don't allow women to take your strength. She's showing him a woman that don't take his strength, but it do what? Increases it. He can be a greater man because of who she is. And he can trust and rest and rely in this woman. And he's free to be that king, that prince, that ruler and authority because of this woman. So the, the throwback is, this is the type of woman that you need to find. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Yes. 
Yeah, and she's talking like this. This she's giving a description of a woman, and what it's saying is, it's just like using. If you were to talk to your daughter about marrying a man, and you got this one guy in mind, you know is a very excellent man, and you were to go to her and you said a real man, and you started describing this man. Now you're talking about somebody that you really know. But you're using that one man. You ain't telling her to marry him because she can't. But this is the kind of man. This this is the example of the man that you need to find. And that's what she's doing here. All the time, told you wants to avoid. But now he's, she's giving a description of a real woman. And this is the type of woman that you need to find. A woman that's going to take care of her house. A woman that her husband can trust. A woman that's not lazy. A woman that has so great character her children rise up and call her blessed. And all of these things. So yes, she's given a real description of a real woman. And basically saying, this is the woman you need to find. Uh Uh-huh. To be great. Yeah, for you to excel and to really be a great king, a great ruler, a great prince. Because the initial warning is, don't let women take your strength. Women can make you weak. They can destroy you. And now he's giving him a woman that can empower him. Verse 29 said, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. And I, there's a lot of women around now that has done virtuously, that, that has been valiant, that has shown some sign of strength. But this woman, say, you excel all of them. You exceed them. You go far beyond them. And the way we can understand this is there are different levels and expressions of virtue, of strength, of valor, that you got the, the women that's willing to work and that's willing to grind. But they don't take care of their children. You got the women that's, that's there and, and, and concerned and show this compassion for their children, but they lazy. And you got the women who can do their husband good, but he can't all the way trust in them. Cause he gonna need some spoil because of them. Now, they ain't gonna go out, they ain't gonna go out and cheat and all that stuff, but they're gonna tear Amazon up. And every other day a new package gonna be popping up <laughs> popping up on the porch. The brother ain't gonna know where the money going. And what he's saying is, yeah, many have done virtuously. There are many that have expressed, expressed virtues. Many have done this thing. But the woman who characterized as this, you excel them all. You go far beyond all of them because you express all of the characteristics. You show full strength and full might. And he keeps going. Verse 30, and this is the conclusion. And, and summing this thing up and, and driving it home to a son. Said, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. That favor is graciousness. That 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 attraction would be the way we were saying. You know, some folks you just like to look at. And some of them don't always be the most beautiful. It's just something about them. Like the way they walk, they do their head shape or anything like that. And they, just, they just draw your attention. That's what he got here. That favor, that graciousness. The folks who can, who can win you over by their smile and all. It's like that's deceitful. That's trick. You can get tricked by that. Beauty is vain. And by vain, the other word, hebel. And that's one we're going to get into going into the next one. But one definition of hebel is it's fleeting. It's something that fades away. So favor can trick you. It has a graciousness that can make you think you get one thing and you get something completely different. 
Now, we all have met somebody that, that look good until you talk to them. Either they're mean or they're dumb. And then it's like, oh, no. Then what's that? That's deceitful. That, that graciousness, that thing that attracted you, it looked good. But you, didn't th- you thought you were getting something that, uh-uh, it wasn't even that. And what he's saying is that beauty, if you got that, that's going to fade away. So one can trick you and one going to disappear. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now that's deep and this is the key and this is the crux of it. Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And the fear of God has been the whole total theme of this whole book. And out here in the end, he encapsulates this description of this woman who exudes virtue, who, 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 who manifests wisdom. And he's saying that this woman, the thing that makes her who she is, the thing that makes her great, is she fears God. And so everything that we saw as a description of her, her work, her, 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 her values, her insight, her foresight, was not a description purely of work ethic, but a description of somebody that fears God. And what he's saying is she is who she is. She does what she does because she feared God. And like this is the true virtue of her. This is the true beauty of her. This is the thing that makes her valiant. Is that she fears God. And that's why she shall be praised. There's glory that's going to come to a woman that fears God. Verse 31. Give her the fruit of her hands. And let her own works praise her in the gates. So this woman that feared God. She's going to be praised. Then he makes this statement at the end. And all he's saying is. You better praise her. He didn't say that. He said give her the fruit of her hands. And let her own works praise her in the gate. And basically, this woman who feared God, she going to be praised because she going to live in a manner that if you just recognize her and honor her for who she is and what she does, that's going to be praise enough. You ain't got to force it on her. You, know, you ain't got to go to the point. See, you got to build up your wife's esteem. So you got to make sure. No, just congratulate her, respect her for who she is and what she done. He's like, that's going to be praise enough. Now, that's a deep saying. That's a heavy saying. That's it. Just, just recognize what she do. Just let her work and who she is be the praise and the honor that you give her. Don't give her nothing extra. And this is this, this description of this valiant, this virtuous woman, this woman of strength. And the thing that a lot of people wrestle with and want to fuss about is, is this a real woman? And I'm going to ask y'all, what you think? Do you think it's a real woman? You think it's a real woman? You think it's a real woman? She's not a real woman. So you say no. I mean, you say yeah and you say no. Uh-huh. And I would say yes, you own it. But the encouragement in the whole overarching of the book is we need to get what? Wisdom. And if this woman is an expression of wisdom and we raise up women or we allow the women connected to us to be these type of women, women of wisdom, will they be real women? Yeah. And this is this, this woman is an expression of what it looks like to have somebody truly fear God. And that's the thing that makes her a real woman, that she's somebody that fears God. 
and everything that we see, all the works and all the activity of her is coming from this root of her fearing God, which is the beginning of her wisdom. So, yes, this is a real woman. This is a woman that we should long to have our sons marry. And we, as women, should long to be. But it's not a picture of I got to fight and, and, and learn how to sow and, 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 and learn how to, 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 to grow grapes. No, I got to fear God. That's, that's, the, that's the source of it. And I got to let my fear of God be expressed through the way I relate to my family. To the way I relate to my husband. And to the way I relate to the society around me. And if I do that, I'm going to be this virtuous woman. Anybody got any questions?